Kelly here and welcome to another edition of The Unicorn, a podcast featuring business leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world who all have that X factor giving them the business edge. My guest today is Dom Holland, a young tech founder born in Australia but now living and working in the United States and running a very successful company, Fast. Dom, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Dom, let's go back in time. Before Fast, you're an Aussie now living and working in the US, but where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, in Bondi in Sydney. I lived in, uh, I was born in my house on Blair Street in North Bondi as were uh, two of us other kids and I uh, lived in lived in North Bondi for my first 10 years. Then I moved to country New South Wales to the New England area. Lived across uh, Armadale and Tamworth for about six or seven years, and I returned back to Sydney and and lived there for a while. I uh, but I spent the last ten years in Brisbane. Actually, I met my wife who was living in Brisbane at the time and uh, fell in love and and moved to moved to Brisbane in uh, two thousand and ten. So uh, yeah, I've uh, sort of lived all all over Australia, both regional um, New South Wales and Metro New South Wales, regional Queensland and Metro Queensland. So um, yeah. I've, been well well traveled and what about um what about high school where did you go to school so i uh a school in armadale called jival high school uh, I, I went for sort of four years uh, until year 10 and including year 10 and i did year 11 and 12 at a uh, school at, just out of tamworth called um farrah or farrah memorial agricultural high school so it produced wow. a lot was of it, was it was it cold <laughs> up there are very very cold in winter and very very hot in summer and uh you know it was about 20 k's out of well maybe 20 k's out of tamworth and um you know it was a hard place it was an agricultural school there was a farm on site and um uh, we it produced a lot of rugby league players and rugby union players and uh yeah it was a very very interesting place and how about you were you a sportsman uh, I, I was. I um. I boxed for a number of years. So I managed to talk the school into um letting me. I, I boxed before I went to Farrah, and uh, they they let me continue boxing from Farrah. They used to drive me into town every single day, five days a week. I would train in town for two hours at a uh, at a local boxing gym, and they'd bring the school bus to drop me in and pick pick me up as well later that night. So, uh, yeah, it was a it was a great time. And what um, what would your teachers say about you at school? Were you were you a good student? I was uh, I was very good at the things that I like to do, and uh, and I was very headstrong at the same time. So <laughs> I, I think if you uh, if you were my computers teacher, my uh, then um, I was I think I was this you know star of the class. I was sort of doing, you know, uni assignments in in high school, and always a couple of years ahead. But um, yeah. and I didn't mind English, but I, I didn't really like to do much else. And uh, you know, I was a bit of an angry kid. Always had a bit of a chip on my shoulder growing up. So I uh, anyway, it was a fun fun time in life. It's all and, a challenge. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it was it, it, it was hard. You know, I I didn't I didn't have an easy you know an easy sort of um, teenagehood. But uh, you know, but I came through. I came through. I think quite strong out of it. So yeah. And what? And what about after? So you fin- you finish high school. Do you, do you go to university? Do you get a job straight away? What did you do? 
Yeah, I did both. I went. Um, I, I I was actually offered a scholarship to Bond Uni, which I didn't take. Uh, I went to UNSW. I managed to uh, stay at UNSW for two weeks before I uh, dropped out, and um, <laughs> I uh, I couldn't sit still. I also I, I'd been programming for a long time by that stage, and to be honest, I got into UNSW. I thought if I have to sit through four years of this, I, I, I'm just not going to be able Forget to. Forget it. Yeah. It was just, it yeah. was, I had already been doing it for years. I just couldn't, I felt like I was starting again. And um, I was doing computer science. Uh, so, so yeah, I dropped out. I was working full time uh, and I've been working full time ever since. So I was 17 at the time uh, when I finished school. And uh, yeah, I've um, been working ever since my first job. I started out door-to-door sales um, out of North Sydney, actually. And, uh, and you know, what I, were you I selling? Just, uh, selling um, charity, uh, you know, monthly charity uh, charity donations uh, by via direct debit was uh, what we were selling. Wow! And so, what did what 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 lessons did you learn from that that you've brought into running a business? Because I imagine that would have been a very steep learning curve, and uh, you know, you probably brought some of whatever whatever you learnt there into your business at the moment. Yeah, you know, I've done I've done a lot of jobs, and um, and they've all taught me a lot. I think that one of the things you know about being a founder or running a company or being a CEO is that there's just you know so many facets to business and and people, and there's so many people you interact with. Um, Door to door sales and sales in general. I've done door to door sales, retail sales, small business sales, tele sales, uh, you know, corporate, um, uh, commercial sales, uh, you know, right up to selling into the largest companies in, you know, and, and enterprise. Is uh, it just teaches you how to deal with like lots of different um, people and characters, and you know how to understand different levers that different people have, and um, different things you know that that people care about, and different personality types. And um, so yeah, you know, it's sales is an absolutely fascinating space, um, and uh, and a really great space to learn a lot about about people and about consumer behavior and and uh, you know sort of human behavior. Uh, so yeah, that was really interesting. After that, I, I got into I worked in credit and I worked in anti-fraud and, uh, and debt collection and um, across finance roles. And so I've, I've really worked, I wanted to work across lots of different areas across business. It was one of the best things I, I did when I was growing up is make sure I got a wide level of experience. And um, yeah, I just learned a lot of, about lots of different parts of business. So you now find yourself running a very successful tech company in arguably the tech capital of the world, Silicon Valley. Can you tell us what is Fast? Yeah, so Fast is a one-click checkout for the entire internet without passwords. Yeah, okay. And how did you come up with that idea? So I was sitting at our kitchen table in in Brisbane one night. My youngest son was in hospital. He uh, he was one at the time and he uh, it was about just over a year ago, and he uh, was in hospital for three weeks. We had my wife's grandmother helping us out uh, so that, you know, looking out, helping look after my daughter when my wife and I were up at the hospital sort of 24 hours a day. And uh, one night I was sitting at the kitchen table with my wife's grandmother and she was uh, she was ordering groceries on a laptop, forgot a password and just couldn't order groceries. Uh, I just remember thinking it was such a preposterous sort of thing to watch this little old lady you know innocent and sweet and sitting at the kitchen table with a purse out and just unable to spend money on a credit card and and buy food for the house 
because you know one of Australia's largest companies that turns over you know seventy billion dollars a year just couldn't understand mm. how to transact. Uh, you know, take and and charge a credit card without needing some arbitrary string of text that had nothing to do with the transaction, and uh, and so you know, I put together a prototype of uh, system that was called Bypass at the time, but it was a a prototype of passwordless authentication, and so that Granny could have uh, authenticated herself, she could have sent herself a link, clicked the link, and logged into the supermarket's um, website and bought her groceries, uh, and then you know, even that first prototype, uh, the idea was that once she had done that on one site. She had one click log into the rest of the internet because she already proved that you know she owned the email address that she said she did. Uh, I put it online. I put it on a site called Product Hunt, and it was you know it instantly got traction. I had tens of thousands of people use the um, passwordless login in a couple of days and realized there was a you know huge opportunity there. And uh, and I realized that one, the world really hates passwords, uh, but two, that the you know passwords aren't actually the problem. You know, they're just a symptom of the problem. And the problem is that every single business makes us uh, sort of go through the same process again, reestablish our identity, create a new password, tell them all of our information from scratch. I mean, it's a nightmare. Know, Oh, it's but it, my date of birth hasn't changed in thirty-two years. <laughs> it's it's not going to. <laughs> Yet everyone asks me, you know, from scratch as if as if it's some brand new piece of information. You know, I still identify as male. I always have. My name hasn't changed, and you know, this all of this static information we're constantly having to re-enter uh, just doesn't yeah. make sense to be doing that anymore. And you know, um, and we don't have to. So the reality, um, uh, you know, or well, the reality as we see it in, in this org is that the solution to login is the same solution to forms, is the same solution to checkout, is that um, we need to not make better forms or not make more forms. Uh, we need to eliminate forms. We don't need to collect the same information all over again, even if it's your first time interacting with a new business. We, we are building the intermediary or a, or a an app that sits in between you and every other business so that when you want to register or when you want to buy their product or when you want to interact with them, you can just do so in one click. You don't need to fill in new forms. You don't need a password. You don't need some long-term token. You don't need to spend five minutes trying to establish your identity to do business with them. You can just do business with them. Uh, and we make that really, really easy. So you've just completed a, a very big funding round, circa $30 million Australian dollars led by Stripe. What was that experience like? You know, it's a um, Silicon Valley is an amazing place. It's a place where you can fail just as easily here as any other part in the world. And um, there's no sort of secret bullet to coming here. There's a lot of people come here and, and, and don't make it. But it does have this incredible, um, it does lend an incredible opportunity where if you uh, have a great idea, if you've got a great product, and if you're you know, able, uh, willing and able to work really, really hard and, uh, and build a community around you, you can build amazing businesses here. And um, you know, the fact that so many of the companies and so many of the products that we use you know, day in and day out in our lives are from this area is no mistake or, or coincidence. It really does have this ecosystem of you know, capital and talent and expertise um, that no other part of the world has, and so uh, you know, raising money, uh, we, we couldn't. I know that we couldn't. 
we couldn't have had any of the success that we've had over the last six months anywhere else in the world, or the last eight months anywhere else in the world. Um, this is that right? This place, this place just has uh, given us, you know, an opportunity that we've, uh, we, or arguably we gave to ourselves, that we just couldn't have got elsewhere. And so it, it, it's been, you know, raising, uh, you know, twenty million US or thirty million Australian round, um, you know, at our stage would have been unheard of in Australia. It was still a very yeah. unique round for here and we closed it during, you know, during COVID and during shelter in place. So it was a very unusual round um, and, and it was, you know, no sort of easy feat. But at the same time, um, those sort of magical opportunities, uh, you know, are really make themselves available here if you go out to get them. So it's a very unique place. And is, is that why you think so many... Um tech founders, if, if you use the, the local example of Australia, actually just say, you know what, it's it's potentially too hard doing it here, I'll, I'll go to the US. It's, a, it's easier to raise the sort of money that I need for my business to succeed in America. A little bit. I, so uh, I think that, you know, Australians, uh, I think one thing that our ecosystem um, might have a little bit of is entitlement. Right, where people f- feel a little bit, uh, see, you know, results that other companies have, uh, you know, t- typically overseas, say here in Silicon Valley, and feel entitled to have that because because they've got a startup, right, or you know, because they are a founder or whatever yeah. else. Yeah. Um, and uh, not not all the time. I'm not saying it's uh, you know that it's every Australian or anything like that. But I definitely think that there is a, a little bit of entitlement, and the fact that there isn't um, lots of companies raising you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars every day in Australia um, is disheartening to a lot of people. You know, the reality is there's a lot of co- sort of complexity involved. I, I think um, our VCs do need to take more risk and uh, we do have more conservative venture capitalists in the country. Um, and one that's driven by the fact that we haven't had large amounts of large exits, um, it, you know, in Australia, we haven't had huge tech companies yeah. sell for huge amounts of money left like every second day, right, which there is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that doesn't help. It also means that our VCs don't have huge exits that they're, you know, in their portfolio, which means that they're ready to take bigger bets um, on other companies. And, you know, so the, the returns that they do get on, on the companies that, that do win and, you know, or have sort of return positive gains uh, just aren't big enough to sort of offset you know, more frequent losses. So I think they tend to be more conservative and that, that's never going to help the sector as a whole. We tend to be prioritising companies that aren't really venture scale or um, uh, aren't really shooting for um, real venture scale returns. So that's, I, I think that that's one issue. I think that the other thing is that that's produced um, a round of founders who are more risk adverse and aren't taking as big a risks because of that, because there's a lack of capital available for higher, you know, higher risk, higher reward opportunities. And so, um, you know, that's one component. Uh, and, um, but also our ecosystem, you know, over here, you know, every single person who works in this organization has come from, you know, Uber and Visa and Lyft and Square and Stripe, you know, you name every big tech company, our whole whole team is full of them. And so, um, you know, I I was thinking of this analogy this morning is, 
you know, if you want to go hunting, the best people to go hunting are the people who've hunted before, right? The, the best people mm. to take hunting with you are people who've hunted before. Same thing as going fishing, right? The best fishermen, you know, and fishermen, you <laughs> know, right. and, and, yeah. are people who, who fish a lot. Going on. Yeah, and um, and in Australia, we just don't have huge amounts of those people. And, you know, we've got people, like engineers, we've got product people and designers, but like they haven't necessarily worked on companies that have been, you know, um, knock it out of the park successes, let alone like multiple of them. Uh, whereas there's, you know, there's within a stone's throw of me right now, I could find 5,000 of these people literally and, and hit them with a stone. So, um, you know, in the sort of a short radius around me. So it's, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of reasons why this ecosystem is just um, an incredibly powerful one. I know Fast Checkout is on the horizon. That's your first product. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, so that's our first commercial product. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're l releasing that. Uh, so there's actually a publicly um, available version, so you can test it out and try it. So you can go to fast.co, you can hit sign up. Uh, you can go to our swag store and, and buy a Fast hoodie uh, in one click, right? And so you can use our checkout as the fastest and easiest way to check out and buy anything and it is literally so fast that we constantly get messages from people all around the world telling us that they've never experienced anything like this um, for a bit of tech that's just on its side so it's it's um it really is a unique experience uh in about four weeks we're going to be rolling that out to merchants all around the world so um sites all around the world that you would uh, commonly, you know, use and, and shop at and buy things online, whether it's groceries or T-shirts or shoes um, or baby goods or anything else, uh, we'll be rolling our fast checkout button out to those sites. What about your business model? Can you tell us how that works? Yeah, so we charge, uh, we charge businesses uh, a transaction fee to process the payments that, uh, that are processed through fast checkout. So anytime a customer uses the fast checkout button to pay, for their order, we just charge the merchant a transaction fee for that to process that order. In the same way that they're already paying a transaction fee to either their bank or to PayPal or any other company that is currently processing their payment. We should talk about um, the, the current global pandemic, the coronavirus. Tell us how uh, that has affected not only your business, some insight into the, the running of uh, a very busy operation, but also uh, insights on the, the retail sector more broadly. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's a very, very unique time in the world that's obviously uh, that, that has caught the whole world off guard. But as any good tech company, I think, you know, we, we've adjusted extremely well, almost as second nature, to be honest. And we've been so busy that I often joke that, um, uh, that our team haven't even realised they're working from home yet. Uh, but um, but we you They'll know wake up in their pajamas exactly yes yeah that's right um, but we know we we are we're we're literally so busy uh, you know these days we've got such great communication tools like so many other you know previously if it had been years and years ago this would have been a um, uh, the world would have been a much worse place but I think we're just at a standpoint where even more traditional companies you know have great tooling these days to make work from home 
possible. Um, and, and, you know, and, and in fact, arguably more, more efficient, right? We don't have to travel between meetings. Everything's virtual. Um, there's, uh, there are a lot of benefits. Uh, I'm also a big proponent of, of working in an office. I think it's great to have people around you. So I'm not a sort of, um, I, I, I just think both work really well. And for us, yeah, it's been yeah. second nature. You know, everyone, uh, you know, in tech industry, a lot, a lot of engineers take days where they work from home as well. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's quite co common part of our business. So it's fr from an internal standpoint, it's been second nature. We obviously, you know, the safety of our, uh, you know, of our, of our team and of their families has been like our number one priority. Um, and, and thankfully, uh, uh, you know, our team have all been um, uh, safe and, and well looked after. But, um, you know, that is, you know, passing that, um, the sector that we're serving is e-commerce and it's had a, uh, it's gone through a, a tremendous sort of couple of months now, um, you know, almost overnight, you know, we've seen um, supermarkets uh, 15x in their volume, um, you know, or more and, uh, and, and just undergo the most, you know, incredible transformations. Um, so whilst at the same time we've seen sectors like fast fashion and apparel, uh, you know, plummet uh, at the same time, you know, people are sitting at home, they're not buying designer t-shirts and blue kicks, you know, they're just not, <laughs> they're less interested. They've got less discretionary Saving spending. Money. Yeah. yeah, they're being more, more conservative and risk adverse. And um, whilst at the same time, you know, groceries, personal care has gone through the roof. You know, if you're selling hand sanitizer, toilet paper, or just general groceries, you are absolutely killing it. And um, yeah. and so, uh, yeah, you know, it's a it's a, it's a really interesting time in the world. And and I think it's going to continue to evolve. I, uh, but uh, yeah, I think e-commerce as a sector has had about, about a decade of advancement in a month. And um, so, you know, the sector as a whole will be fairly strong. Obviously, once, you know, the uh, isolation restrictions lift and consumer confidence goes back up then you know fast fashion and or fashion fashion in general will uh you know come back but at the moment it is um you know it is it is running at sort of lower levels you met your co-founder Alison Barr over Twitter can you talk me through how on earth that happened and when you finally got to meet in person Sure. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, uh, we've actually met a lot of our team, uh, a lot of investors, um, clients, partners uh, through Twitter. It's been a um, quite an amazing. I've got C-level executives we met through Twitter. Um, so, yeah, it's been a it's, it's been an absolutely incredible platform for us. Um, you know, most of this company is basically uh, built on Twitter and quite publicly. But um, when I first arrived in uh, in the U.S. in June last year, I just reached out to uh, a lot of interesting people in the you know and really wanted to build my networks. I really didn't have strong networks here, and um, one of the people I reached out to was Alison uh, Alison Bar Allen, and she was the head of global product operations at Uber in the money team. Uh, and so, you know, Uber has a very, very, very large financial services business. And, you know, argu arguably it's going to be one of the pillars of that company moving forwards. And, uh, and she, uh, yeah, she was running global product operations, very, um, very relevant field. She also was an angel investor. And whilst we weren't looking for money, uh, always, uh, she's, uh, you know, that always makes angel investors always interested in other startups, you know, more so. And uh, and so I reached out to Alison on Twitter and I asked if uh, she'd be interested in, in in meeting an Aussie founder and, and hearing about my startup. 
and uh, and she said yes. And so we caught up for a coffee one day. It wasn't long after I first messaged her, probably in a week or two. And I told her about what you know what I was building, and um, and she told me she had a she had a thesis around frictionless finance, and uh, and around how she thought the world um, should be, and she had written this thesis about two two years earlier, and uh, you know it was extremely similar to the business that I was building and and uh, sort of long term right. plans, and uh, you know we we really gelled on a lot of points. And uh, she wanted to introduce me to a number of um, VCs. She very well uh, networked with venture capitalists in uh, around San Francisco and the world. And one of the vet, one of the VCs, in fact, the very first VC she introduced me to was a man named Jan Hammer, who from Index Ventures. Um, he's based in London, and uh, he's a he's a he's from the Czech Czech Republic, but he's based in London. And uh, he flew into uh, into Silicon Valley, we, and I met him on. Uh, the U.S.'s Labor Day last September, and uh, we had breakfast. And on the spot, he made me an offer to invest. Uh, and Jan's rated w- one of the best fintech investors in the world. So he um, yeah. led rounds at Robin Hood and TransferWise and Adyen, all multi-billion-dollar companies, some of which tens of billions. And uh, and yeah, and he read those rounds and led those rounds. And he's a very well-respected fintech investor. He's rated, I think, the number one investor in Europe. And, um, and and one of the top investors, you know, in the world, and uh, and yeah, and so he he made an offer to to invest in in fast and lead our round, and uh, so I went back to Allison, I sent her a message, and I said, uh, Jan's in, so uh, are you in? And she said, Yeah, I'd already said that I'd invest in the company, and I said, No, don't invest. Why don't you, Why don't you join and help build the business? I want you to be in and, in. Yes, exactly, and uh, yeah, to commit, and uh, and so she did. So. Um, she left Uber after five years. She was there from 2,000 employees to 26,000 employees. So she saw tremendous growth, had incredible operations experience, and uh, and so she joined um, Fast as a as the first first person outside of uh, myself on the team. It's a great story. I've been talking today with Dom Holland, the CEO of the US-based tech company Fast. Dom Holland, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me.